0: And on this week's show, we look at the under-23 Africa Cup of Nations, which starts this weekend with the top three teams qualifying for next year's Olympic Games. And we talk about professionalising Africa's leagues, and we hear from the chief executive of the
1: World Leagues Forum. Find the right way to have structures that are at the service of development, and what can be done to have a better corporate governance and to professionalise the structure.
0: And we look ahead to Sunday's big game in the English Premier League between Liverpool and Manchester City. But let's start at the FIFA Under-17 World Cup in Brazil, where the African interest is over, unexpectedly at the Round of 16 stage. There's a great history for Africa, with Nigeria having won a record five titles at the Under-17 World Cup. Ghana have won it twice and six times an African team has finished runners-up. But it's a disaster this time. African under-17 champions Cameroon lost all of their three games in the group stage and have subsequently fired their coaching staff. The other three African teams made it through to the round of 16, but Nigeria lost 3-1 to the Netherlands. Debutants Angola lost 1-0 to South Korea, but did pretty well to get that far. And Debutants Senegal were highly fancy, but went out 2-1 to Spain in the round of 16. So it's all over for Africa. And Ida, I wasn't expecting to be having this conversation this week on the show.
2: It's incredibly disappointing. Over for Africa way before many thought that it actually would be. And uh, Steve, remember our last conversation to do with the Andy 17 World Cup, and I was actually gunning for at least one African team to make it to a runners-up position. And the thing about such predictions, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one making them, is they weren't lopsided because, as we know, the Under-17 World Cup, and as we kept saying, is the one tournament where Africa has always been known to do very well. So the sorts of results registered this time round were really and very, very shocking. Um It looked Good at the beginning, especially when uh, three African teams, that being Nigeria, Senegal and Angola, all qualified for the knockout stages. And they did so with the game to spare, Steve. Uh, But looking at specific teams, you know, let's uh, focus on Nigeria. The fact that they already had to come back from behind twice during the group stage already said something, gave a bit of insight that maybe not all was well with the team. I'm still impressed with Senegal. However, this being their maiden Under-17 World Cup, they registered very good victories, in my opinion, you know, over the likes of uh, the United States, over European champions, Netherlands. And I think that this will go somewhat into some level of motivation for the boys. I'm still impressed with the team. Still think that there's um, a lot more to go, but you can't see a level of potential within uh, the Yang Teranga Lions. But yes, very disappointing tournament, Steve. And it's just one of those situations where it is what it is, you know.
0: Yes, and those who are cynical might say that the technology for checking the correct ages of players means that now it's harder to use overage players, which might be weakening some teams. Those would, though, be allegations that are not proven. Disappointing indeed for Africa at the Under-17 World Cup. Remember, at the World Cup in Russia last year, all five African teams went out at the group stage. So that's two poor tournaments for the continent in men's football, though at least at the Under-20 World Cup this year in Poland, Senegal and Mali, both reached the quarterfinals well the under 23 africa cup of nations gets underway this weekend in cairo in egypt with eight teams participating and the top three qualifying for next year's olympics which is more of the focus rather than just becoming african under 23 champions now the two groups look extremely difficult in group a there's egypt mali cameroon and ghana cameroon having won olympic gold in 2000 group b has defending champions nigeria who were the olympic champions in 1996 also So there are Ivory Coast, South Africa and Zambia. This will be a tough competition, Ida.
2: Very much so. It's some serious, serious heavyweights who are taking part in this competition. And Nigeria are the defending champions. And uh, as for the teams with the most number of appearances at the competition, Steve, that has to be South Africa, who I will talk about in just a minute, because not all is well with that, Nigeria and Egypt. All those three teams have made three appearances. Now, something tells me that the Young pharaoh Steve, will actually take this competition very, very seriously. And they might go far. Reason being, first, they are the hosts. Secondly, they will want to compensate, if you will, for the lackluster performance the senior team gave in uh, the senior Afghan That was in July. So you never really know, but I still do think that the under-23 Egyptian side is one that we should keep an eye on. Now, as for some of the other teams, for example, uh, Ghana, so they did play um, at their last Olympics. That was all the way back in 2004. And I Unlike their West African counterparts, Cameroon and Nigeria, as you've just very well put it, who do have gold from the Olympics, Ghana don't. So they should be buoyed by that, just trying to match up to the efforts or the achievements of their West African counterparts. And of course, they really will want to qualify for Tokyo 2020. As for South Africa, I don't really know how they'll cope. And especially in uh, the first few days of the competition, Steve, seeing as they arrived in Egypt with just 12 players, you know, some of the big clubs in the PSL refusing to release their players. Now, you see, Steve, the FIFA window for international matches technically starts on Monday. And uh, that's when it's assumed that uh, most of these PSL clubs will release their players to arrive in Cairo, maybe around Tuesday, Wednesday. But it really does put the South Africans in jeopardy, especially for their first few matches in the competition.
0: Well, that's a big disadvantage for South Africa. I'd say, though, that all eight teams are in with a real chance of qualifying for the Olympics by finishing in the top three. And this is one of those tournaments where the third and fourth place playoff is a big match, as the winner of that game will take third place and a slot at the Olympics. So the under-23 Africa Cup of Nations runs from the 8th to the 22nd of this month, all games being played in Cairo. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Now, here in Zimbabwe recently, we had an international football symposium held at the Victoria Falls, with Zimbabwe's clubs and administrators represented, and the aim was to further professionalise football here. There were international speakers from FIFA, from the Spanish La Liga, the Swiss Premier League, the South African Premier League, and also there was the World Leagues Forum, an organisation formed in 2016 with 38 members, including six in Africa and all of Europe's top leagues. Jerome Perlamuta is the World Leagues Forum's General Secretary. He spoke to my colleague Simba Chiminya about the World Leagues Forum and gave his views on developing football in Africa.
1: Well, we have uh, um, leagues from all around the world. In Africa, we have leagues such as uh, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria. We also have uh, Morocco, Algeria. I think in Africa there's a, there's a huge potential, and and there two aspects in this potential. First is uh, the quality of the players. I think this is really key to the development of football in Africa. Players are great and usually after a while they go to Europe to have a a very successful career. And the second aspect that I think we should emphasize is how fans are crazy about football. And when you have these two aspects, quality of players and fan engagement, it means you have the potential huge potential, but what are the challenges? I think the challenges is on the, maybe the structures and professionalization of um, a football find the right way to have structures that are at the service of development and what could be done to have a better corporate governance and to professionalize the structure. Working with African countries, is there a difference
0: between sub-Saharan African countries and those from North Africa?
1: Well, I think you shouldn't try to rank Zimbabwe and see if you're better than Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa. I, I think each league should find their own way to develop, and I think it's on you to find your own ways uh, with your own specificity. There's no leagues that are that are the same, so it really needs. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are the, the uh, your objectives? And from that, uh, you need to to get better. the World major league? How long did it take you to transform football in Europe? Well, to transform and get it more professional and, and uh, sustainable in terms of business, it takes a while. You need to have the proper structure. You need to have the business coming. I think in Europe, what has been key over the last 30 years, really, is, is the TV market. And when you look at what TV rights were in the 80s and what they're now, I mean, it's the, the increase has been massive. And what the market and creating a business on those TV rights is also, I think, one of the, the opportunities that, that needs to be looked at you know tvs are attracted by good products and in every african product the best tv product is the domestic league so of course you need to produce the league of course you need to develop it but uh, in any market the domestic league is the product and if you run it in a professional manner you will attract tvs
0: so that's Jerome Perlemutter. He's the World League's Forum General Secretary, speaking to my colleague Simba Chiminya. Uh, So there's lots to talk about there, Ida. He's saying that Africa has great players and passionate fans, which is true, but that there are challenges in the structures in administration and in corporate governance. Uh, I think that Zimbabwe and Kenya are in a situation that many African leagues face where administrative wrangling and arguing and factions dominate the running of football, along with a lack of transparency. And that, Ida, obviously holds back the development of football.
2: That's the thing with Africa, you know, that it's more often than not a case of same script, different cast, you know, and the structure, Steve, that we see in majority of African countries. And look, I use the word structure very kindly, and it's because I lack a better one for now. But the organization, if you will, of the leagues is oftentimes, if you've noticed, subjective to those in power, such that, Steve, the minute they leave, then the leagues disintegrate or the structures disintegrate. And I'll give you a perfect situation of uh, here in Kenya, where the local association, the local football association or federation, if you will, and uh, the local league, in essence, are separate, at least for now. So the local league is run under the Kenyan Premier League, which is actually a privately registered entity. But Steve, I'll take you back a few years ago, um, maybe around four or five years ago, because at one point there were actually two parallel top-tier leagues in Kenya, all because they were unable to agree, that being the local football federation and the local league were unable to agree on expansion of the top flight. So in the middle of these huge wars of ego, the player suffers, you know, because um, the situation then was we're unable to agree. So the local league has been running. So we'll form our own. Uh, But there's actually talk that the local football federation, the FKF, will actually take over the league in the next year or so problem to do with that is the league here in Kenya has totally disintegrated. There are no sponsors. The league itself is not attractive to corporates. There are way too many teams, if you ask a lot of people. And that's the situation in a lot of countries, as you've put it, Zimbabwe, Kenya, what have you. But to be frank, it's always much worse somewhere else, Steve, you know, because you've seen the situation with uh, the Nigerian Professional Football League. It's on now. It's off tomorrow. You've seen the normalization committees being implemented in Cameroon, in Ghana. So... It's not well in a lot of countries, you know. And it's not to say that the leagues in Europe, for example, don't have their own challenges, Steve. And especially to do with uh, transparency and accountability. But I think that as the WLF, um, secretary general has very well put it, that structures are key. Structures are key, Steve, because they outlive people, they outlast feuds. And ultimately, structures provide a situation whereby football can go
0: on Yes, and that's so important, isn't it? So it's a sad state of affairs in many countries around Africa. This week on social media, we're asking, how well run is the league in your country? So we heard there from the World Leagues Forum General Secretary saying Africa has great players and passionate fans, but there are challenges in the structures in administration and in corporate governance, which are holding back the development of African leagues. So tell us, how professional and well run is the league in your country? You can go to our Facebook page, that's planet sport football africa or send us a whatsapp to +447955232780 four four two two that's +447955232780 four four two two tell us how well run is the league in your country well this is Planet Sport Football Africa brought to you by Passion for Sport and you can download our app and listen to the show any anytime and access past programs in our archive to download go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes app Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen on our New Look website, that's planetsport.tv. Other shows are there too, that's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast. And you can find out more about the team in the About Us section with pictures and profiles of all of us. That's on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. Well now we turn to social media and last week we asked if Arsenal need a new manager. The Gunners' recent 2-2 draw with Crystal Palace saw the video assistant referee deny the Gunners what would have been a winning goal and then Captain Granit Xhaka had an angry confrontation with his own fans. At that game there were a few supporters holding banners saying Emery out in the way that we used to see banners saying Wenger out before Unai Emery eventually replaced Arsene Wenger. Now, last weekend's 1-1 draw with Wolves didn't ease the fans' frustration, with some saying that there's a lack of progress in Emery's second season. So we've been asking, do you think that Arsenal need a new manager? Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard with some of your comments.
3: Thanks, Steve. And this is another question that's drawn some passionate responses. We'll start today with Samba Jawo in The Gambia, who says, Well, I think they do need a new manager because Emery is just not doing enough to bring Arsenal back to their best. I think the earlier they show him the exit door, the better. And here's Jemmo, a Cameroonian living in the United States. Yes, I think Arsenal needs a better plan because they seem to be getting worse, says Jemmo. Emery doesn't seem to have control of the players or a solid playing system. Arsenal had defending issues coming into the season and he hasn't addressed that. The club should give him to the end of the season to see before making a decision. But Habibu Som in the Gambia believes Emery shouldn't have been appointed in the first place. Arsenal already made the biggest mistake when they appointed Unai Emery, says Habibu. You don't appoint managers who can win you the Europa League, as he did with Sevilla, without making a name in the Champions League and see that as a sign of progress. From a progress point of view, he should be sacked. And Arsenal should then start progressing. And Alfred Mdimba in Malawi agrees. I agree Emery should go because sometimes a lack of progress is due to a problem of poor game tactics by the manager, says Alfred. And Noble Botomani also in Malawi, is short and to the point. Una Emery out, says Noble. Arsenal needs a new manager. But Joachim Mudanga in Uganda takes a different view. I think the club should focus on what's leading to the team's losses, says Joachim. Not only during Emery's time, but going back to when Arsene Wenger was manager. They still have the same setbacks they had in Wenger's time. Yes, they have a good midfield and a good striking force, but just look at their poor defence. So my opinion is that I don't think they need a new manager right now. And we always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Michael Mboka in the Gambia.
2: You know, now it's becoming tradition. You know, people tend to put blames on managers, also they say coaches among others, you know. But sometimes it's with the players. You know, though the coaches are trying their best, but, you know, the players also contribute towards their downfall.
3: So, Michael saying there that the players should share the responsibility and not let all the blame for poor results go to the coach. John in Ghana thinks Arsenal shouldn't be too hasty. Well, for me, I'm not an Arsenal fan, says John, but I think they need to give Emery some time. He's still new in the Premier League and he's still getting used to the system, so he really needs time. And Sambu one in the Gambia agrees. Here's his voice note.
2: At this crucial moment, I don't think Arsenal well we need a new manager. Let him maintain with the manager that they are having as of now, and make sure that he put his dressing room in order, and let him not allow to be controlled by fans. So I think the manager should stay and uh, make sure that uh, he work with his team, technical department, and uh, the rest of the players, and make sure that everything goes well for them.
3: So Sambu one saying that Emery should stay but that he should take back control of the dressing room and not be swayed by the views of fans. And that's a view shared by Byton Mchiko in Malawi. There's no need to sack Emery, says Byton. In fact, how many times will coaches be removed simply because fans don't like the coach anymore? To my understanding, coaches are given targets and should be judged based on what they've achieved or not. In football, the fans always want their team to be winning all the time. And finally today, here's Ricky Nglube in Zambia. It's just too early to call, says Ricky. Every team goes through a rough patch and Arsenal is just another one of them. Manchester United went through it and some fans protested. But still, some stood behind Solskjaer. And with time, I think they're coming out of it. Even Chelsea and Frank Lampard went through the same moment and they've managed to catch up and are producing good and important results, both domestically and in the Champions League. Fans should also allow the coach to do his job and not put so much pressure on their coach so that he performs accordingly. So, there you are then, Steve. Plenty of strong opinions on both sides there, but perhaps there's a lesson to be learned from Chelsea this season, where patience with a new manager is beginning to pay off.
0: Yeah, sure. Frank Lampard doing well with the Blues right now. Thanks, Adrian. So the latest Gunners news. Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is the new captain now, replacing Granit Xhaka in the fallout of that ugly confrontation. And on the pitch in the Europa League, uh, the Gunners conceded late to draw 1-1 with Portugal's Vitoria Guimaraes on Wednesday. That's four draws in a row now for Arsenal in all competitions. They seem to be failing to hold on to leads. Now, before we get on to the Liverpool-Manchester City game in the English Premier League, what a week in the UEFA Champions League. That staggering 4-4 draw between Chelsea and Ajax. Uh, so many talking points there, including two red cards for Ajax coming in the same passage of play and Chelsea coming back from 4-1 down to level at 4 all then getting what would have been a winning goal only for the VAR to intervene. That was an incredible game. Uh, from an African point of view in the Champions League, Nigeria's Victor Ossiemen scoring again for his French club Lille, although they lost 4 1 to Valencia. Burkina Faso's Bertrand Traore on target for Lyon in a 3 1 win over Benfica. And Tanzania's Zamboana Samata continues to impress. Newcastle and West Ham are reportedly both interested in signing the Genk striker as he scored in the 2 1 defeat against Liverpool on Tuesday. Let's go to the English Premier League now then. So on Sunday, Liverpool host Manchester City with the Reds still six points clear of Man City after both teams had hard-fought wins last weekend. Our European football expert Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Uh, How do you
4: see this one going, Stuart? Liverpool and Manchester City go into the big clash on the back of wins last weekend, but only just... Liverpool were behind at Aston Villa for over an hour before winning the game with goals in the 87th and 94th minutes. And Sadio Mane scored the winner, but only after getting a yellow card for diving, something that Pep Guardiola was quick to pick up on, saying that one minute Mane is scoring brilliant goals and the next moment he's diving. So is Guardiola just trying to use a bit of psychology to get that into the mind of the referee? Hmm. Now, Southampton, you will recall, went to Manchester City last weekend on the back of a 9-0 home defeat. And blow me down. Didn't they take the lead early in the first half and hold it until the 70th minute? And it took Kyle Walker's first ever left-footed winning goal to win the game for Manchester City. But it's as you were at the top of the table. Liverpool, six points clear, but both of those games could have resulted in a draw or even a defeat for the top team. But I suppose, Steve, that's what makes Liverpool and City so good that they manage to grind out the win when they're not at their best. Just to put Liverpool's current form in perspective, I talked a wing or two back about how Liverpool were the dominant team in England in the 1970s and 80s. But their current run of 131 points from their last 50 league games is 12 points more than than they ever did during that golden period in the 70s and 80s. Incidentally, Aston Villa came close to beating Liverpool, but history was not on their side. If you look at their last 55 games against Liverpool, Arsenal, or Manchester United, they've won once. Now, Sunday's game really is just too close to call. Liverpool of home advantage, is that significant? Liverpool played their Champions League game this week on Tuesday, Manchester City on Wednesday. Does the extra day's preparation give Liverpool an advantage? But three weeks ago, Liverpool had a 100% record in the Premier League. They lost that at Manchester United, and in their last three games, they have been behind for more than 45 minutes. So are they struggling a little bit with their form? But this game is so close that no result could really be regarded as a surprise.
0: Yeah, that's true, and I agree with you there, Stuart. It seems as though the wins are getting a bit harder to come now for both Liverpool and for Manchester City. And it's pretty surprising that Manchester United are down in 10th and Tottenham in 11th, Stuart, with teams like Sheffield United and Brighton above them, with nearly a third of the season gone.
4: Well, with Manchester United's fine performance against Liverpool two weeks ago and then the win at Norwich, we wondered if they turned the corner. But then a dismal 1-0 defeat at Bournemouth leaves them mid-table. And frankly, that's where they deserve to be. United have played 11 games, scored 13 goals and got 13 points. I mean, compare that with Liverpool's 25 goals and Manchester City's 34 goals. And in the final 11 games of last season, United scored 13 goals and picked up 14 points. So the simple facts are that at the end of last season and in the beginning of this season, Their league form puts them exactly where they are, in the middle of the table. Tottenham's 11th place is also a bit of a mystery. They've also got 13 points because they have the same players who took them to the Champions League final and finished fourth place in the Premier League last season. But away from home, their form has been terrible. Three draws, three defeats and no wins. And don't forget that embarrassing 7-2 home defeat against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. The problem for Tottenham and Manchester United is that already after 11 games, they find themselves 10 points behind Chelsea, who are in fourth place. And that's an awful lot of places and points to make up if they're going to get into the Champions League next season. As you say, newly promoted Sheffield United, Bournemouth, Brighton and Crystal Palace are 6th, 7th and 8th and ninth, And it certainly looks an odd league table. Sheffield United have done brilliantly with home wins over Arsenal and Burnley in their last two games and two away draws. But of course, we can easily think of recent newly promoted clubs who have started the season well, only to fall away later. But for the last three seasons, 36 points has been enough for Premier League survival. And with 27 games to go, Sheffield United already have 16 of those points in the bag.
0: Yes, so much of the work done for them already. And Stuart, you talked before about there being arguably too much football on the calendar these days. Now, Liverpool have a clash next month when they're in Qatar for the Club World Cup, with an EFL Cup quarterfinal game to be played at the same time, with a Premier League match having been moved already. So they're going to have to field two completely different squads for those games on two different continents. Just so much football being played.
4: I think it would be fair to say that few people in England have much time for the club World Cup competition, feeling it's just a competition too much in an already crowded schedule. And trying to fit a fairly meaningless competition into a busy season has never been popular. There is a precedent for this because in the 1999-2000 season, Manchester United played in the competition and were allowed to skip the FA Cup to avoid that fixture congestion. But, you know, there's one aspect of the situation that does amuse me. Uh, Jurgen Klopp talking about fixture congestion for his players. Don't forget that for the last round of the League Cup, Klopp made 11 changes to his starting lineup. So it's not as if Klopp is taking the League Cup that seriously anyway. But it is fascinating to see how many games various teams in the Premier League have played this season. Wolves who had qualifying rounds of the Europa Cup, have already played 22 games. Liverpool have played 18, whereas Burnley, Crystal Palace, Newcastle and Norwich have only played 12 games each. So success gives you extra games.
0: And a lot of games indeed for Liverpool. Uh, Thanks for that, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. Uh, So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.